Hello everyone, welcome back to the Black and Red Book Review Podcast. Uh, I'm going to dispense with the usual opener uh, about caveating for folks who might be joining us for the very first time. Uh, This should not be your first episode. If this is your first episode, I invite you to go back and listen to our back catalog. Uh, Believe me, I've covered a lot of uh, new of luminary scumbags uh in the course of this book review podcast project so a basic review of the purpose of this podcast uh it is a class struggle anarchist uh host who is reading and reviewing white nationalist literature uh and literature more broadly from the fascist uh racialist authoritarian right Everyone from the pre-war classical fascists to the post-war neo-Nazis and modern white nationalists. Everyone who believes in the essence of uh, the essentialness of natural hierarchy. The belief that some people are inherently better than others. And that we should have a state that maintains this natural state of affairs through brute force. Those people are my enemies and I read what they write so that I can pay attention to people who want me and my friends and my community and my family dead. Um, So this is not a podcast meant to platform white nationalists or fascists more more broadly. We'll never have any of the authors featured on this podcast on as guests, uh, not even through seances or whatever. Um, And I am not genuinely interested in what these people have to say out of some liberal uh, bullshit belief in in freedom of speech and deplatforming as a threat to freedom of speech. I want these people to go away forever, uh, and the only way I can make that happen, one of the only ways that I can make that happen, is to preemptively introduce their ideas to people in a safer format so that people understand what their ideas are and why they're stupid and wrong. Uh, so speaking of people who were stupid and wrong, today's uh, stupid and wrong author was a someone who should be better known uh, on the white nationalist right, but unfortunately was not. But he was a man by the name of Francis Parker Yockey. Francis Parker Yockey. Uh, as usual with this podcast, we're going to divide up this episode into two chunks, and I'm and this is an author who's so important that I might have to actually just do a two-parter just on Francis Parker Yockey. So today's episode will be a biography of Francis Parker Yockey, and the next episode will be an actual review of the text. But in the interest of fulfilling the purposes of this podcast, you should know that the text we'll be reviewing is Francis Parker Yockey's Imperium, which is some have regarded as the American Mein Kampf. And to be fair, I haven't read Mein Kampf, I couldn't make it past about chapter 3. It was so fucking boring. (coughs) But Francis Parker Yockey, uh, I've also heard called Julius, the American Julius Evola. And while I haven't read Julius Evola either, uh, I would imagine that Julius Evola was similarly fond of words like organic and history and essentialness, or uh, 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 essence, spirit, uh gnosis and so on a man who liked to use big words in order to make himself sound smarter than he actually was <laughs> uh if there's anyone that that description has ever applied to it was francis parker yaki 
So uh, our boy Francis Parker Yaki was essentially a, an American born and bred. Uh, grew up a pretty normal what we what uh, folks without an understanding of economics would call middle class life. Uh, he joined William Dudley Pelly's Silver Legion in the 1930s. That was what brought him into fascist politics, broadly speaking. Uh, I'm sure this podcast will touch on William Dudley Pelly briefly, but or or uh, it, I should say touch on uh, Pelly in more detail eventually. But for right now, let's just summarize uh, William Dudley Pelly as a post-war or a a post-World War One. Hollywood screenwriter who uh, went up to Pasadena and had a vision in the L.A. foothills where Jesus came to him and told him that he and the other spirits of the fourth dimension uh, had picked William Dudley Pelly to be America's Fuhrer. Uh, and William Dudley Pelly did his best to become America's next top Fuhrer before ultimately losing the game of America's next top Fuhrer, ensuring that the game would continue for the next hundred years. Uh, if that game is ever resolved, we will either uh, have to end this podcast or we will all be living under some sort of horrible fascist dictatorship, in which case I will not be recording podcasts. Um, but in either case, uh, Francis Parker Yaki joined Dudley Pelly's Silver Legion, then ended up leaving them because he didn't believe William Dudley Pelly was actually going to be the uh, winner of America's Next Top Fuhrer. Which is actually a solid point for Parker Yaki, and I might have to be inclined to agree with him on that. Uh, I would also not follow William Dudley Pelly, but I wouldn't have joined his shitty organization in the first place. So I guess that's, uh, you know, more an indictment of Parker Yaki's supposed intellectual wisdom than anything else. So Francis Parker Yaki uh, did end up moving abroad. Uh, he bounced around Europe after uh, World War II. Fun fact, by the way, he uh, was locked up in the late 30s just prior to uh, World War II because he was suspected of being a Nazi agent, even going so far as to meet with various congressmen, pass around mysterious envelopes, that sort of thing. Uh, he was released from prison in 1942, immediately got himself a job in the U.S. Army, and was uh, part of the American contribution to the Nuremberg Trials, despite having an active history of uh, Nazi politics and organizing and so on. Uh, it's alleged that he may have uh, slipped various information on the uh, prosecution to the Nuremberg defendants, because, again, Parker Yockey was a fucking legitimate Nazi. So after the war, he stayed bouncing around Europe for a while, got involved with Savitri Devi, uh, met and worked for various post-war German neo-Nazi organizations, including uh, the, so the Socialist Reich Party, the National Democratic Party, basically all the euphemisms for Nazis in post-war neo-Nazi movements in Germany. Uh, then he came back to the States, uh, having declared his contempt for America and uh, written Imperium while staying at an inn on the coast of Ireland. He, one of his uh, key theoretical distinctions with the rest of the neo-Nazi movement in Europe was that uh, he thought that it was a better idea for Europeans to work with the Soviet Union versus the United States in the Cold War. He viewed essentially uh, 
state communism as the lesser of two evils in the struggle for a quote-unquote liberated white homeland. So I think it would be fair to say that Parker Yockey sort of, uh, not invented necessarily, but helped popularize the, the modern conception of white nationalism as opposed to civic nationalism or, uh, or Nazism, aesthetically speaking. He, uh, his takeaway from the utter collapse of Italian fascism and German Naziness was that uh, fascism needed to have a slightly broader vision in order to succeed in Europe. Uh, he believed that essentially the usual white nationalist uh, drivel that all white people are whiteness is a thing. It's a biological fact that all Europeans are white that they have this this thing called whiteness in common and that they need to uh, act to stop people who are white from breeding their whiteness out of them and to preserve a homeland where white people can be white and do white stuff. The definition of what white stuff is or how to do it, of course, is a major point of contention among the white nationalists. But he was one of the people who helped popularize these concepts in the post-war environment. He did a bunch of sketchy intelligence work for Czechoslovakia after World War II. He was on both sides of the Iron Curtain. Uh, he came back to the States uh, despite a professed contempt for America and American, you know, national myth and and principles and so on he was a he was dedicatedly anti-american and had worked for the soviet government so naturally uh hoover's fbi which was usually rather not fond of uh prosecuting nazis either before the war or after the war he just wasn't good enough to make himself useful to the cia like a lot of post-war nazis so he became the fbi's problem and the fbi naturally wanted to know what he had been up to when he was behind the Iron Curtain and what he was doing back here. Uh, so Parker Yaki uh, got word that the feds were coming for him. So he basically bounced around North America for the next uh, five, six years, ten years, something like that. Uh, he didn't really work. He mostly spent his time hanging out in coffee houses and bars. Uh, he survived uh, on donations of money, sales of his uh, magnum opus, and a succession of rich uh, Nazi-sympathetic white women that he slept with. Uh, so he basically just sort of drank and read and fucked his way across the United States, which honestly must have been nice, um, until he made his way over to San Francisco, where the feds finally caught up with him. There's a scene from the bi biography I was reading of him where a reporter uh, finds out that this famous fascist intellectual fugitive uh, possible spy has been arrested by feds. And when they found him, they found him with a suitcase that had like 20 different passports in the suitcase, all with photographs of his face on it all with uh, different names on those passports and with, you know, $100,000 and large amounts of money and various other currencies. And so naturally the reporter had a few questions for him, to which Parker Yaki responded, uh, quote, get away from me, you swine, go to hell. <laughs> so 
the feds uh, escorted Mr. Parker Yaki to a prison cell uh, where he was found dead the next morning having uh, eaten a cyanide capsule. It's not clear if he had the cyanide capsule, if perhaps someone gave him the cyanide capsule, if so, who or how or why. To this day, it's, it's unclear. Um, so... Parker Yaki ended up becoming a, a sort of martyr for the white nationalist cause. Louis Carto, oh, Phyllis Carto, Louis Carto. I forget the man's name, unfortunately. He was the founder of the Council of Conservative Citizens, which is the white nationalist lobbying group uh, that helped make the Klan popular. Uh, he took off with Imperium, and he basically went around telling everybody and their mother that they had to read it. It was the greatest thing since sliced bread. It was a genius. Parker Yaki was like the Julius Evola of America, and everything was great. And he was going to show white people how to, to take power again and do white people stuff and whatever. So, Parker Yaki was another one of those mediocrities that became way more popular after he died than he had been when he was alive. Um, but he was a man with profound connections to the global post-war fascist movement. He might, I might even go so far as to say he was the first person from the United States after 1945 that, whose name you need to know to understand why people are shooting up daycare centers now. Uh, we've covered James Mason, we've covered Harold Covington, we've covered William Pierce, we've covered Greg Johnson, we had not covered Francis Parker Yockey. Francis Parker Yockey is sort of a bridge between the, the normal but crazy bullshit that your crazy-ass conservative uncle believes and the thing that your cousin that lives in the woods in Georgia and has a swastika on the wall believes. Uh... He's the sort of midway point on the path between out there-ish but normal-ish politics and just being a fucking Nazi. If, if someone you know is reading Francis Parker Yockey and thinks he has great ideas, that guy's either a Nazi or going to be a Nazi. But it's kind of too late to stop him from being a Nazi. Um, and if he does happen to read Francis Parker Yockey, then I have to caution you that Parker Yockey is actually an incredible like most of these people, an incredibly verbose, overly wordy, and boring fucking writer. Uh, I, I do have to confess a preference for reading uh, novels from these people whenever possible, because even though their novels are trash on the level of, like, Tom Clancy novels, at least Tom Clancy novels, or, or novels written in that style, can be entertaining. Uh, the so-called intellectual tomes from these people are never entertaining. And uh, Imperium was no exception. It's overly verbose. It's overly wordy. Uh, Parker Yaki was not someone who believed in using two words when eight words would do. Uh, preferably eight pages worth of words to express a single thought. And his basic uh, ideas in the book are... Uh, the first section is basically a, a uh, layout of a philosophy of history. Uh, likes to use the word organic a lot. He might have popularized uh, natural organic imagery among fascists in the post-war period. And uh, he then goes on to lay down a not exactly devastating critique of uh, Marxian economics. Um, obviously, this is not a 
a podcast run by a Marxist, but uh, I'm familiar with, um, let's call them class struggle economics. Uh, Parker Yockey has a very um, unoriginal and frankly derivative and boring critique, which is basically like, oh, well... Working people just are too busy working themselves to death to understand the grandeur and glory and risk it takes to open a small business. Something that Parker Yaki never did in his entire life, by the way. Oh, these these people, they just need to... If everyone just knows their place and supports the other group of people in knowing their place, and we all cooperatively... Uh, keep each other in our places then our economy will be efficient and fine so if you're working yourself to death just keep your nose to the grindstone and and in the mud if necessary and if you happen to be uh ruling it over other people with your boot on people's necks then you should be free to do that too and the people whose necks have your boots on them shouldn't complain too loudly um and whatever you do, don't bother Parker Yaki when he's, uh, you know, taking small loans from rich people as he gallivants his way around the world. Uh, I had a friend of mine describe him as a Nazi beatnik, and I think that was probably the most accurate description I've heard of this man. Uh, this friend of mine wasn't acquainted with Parker Yaki's writings, thank God, uh, but they were very, very not impressed. Uh, just to give an idea of his modern influence, uh, Richard Spencer, who famously uh, got punched in the face, had his bar tab bounced on a $5 bill by his, on his mom's credit card, and now just lost a civil suit by people he and his friends tried to murder four years ago to the tune of like $27 million that he does, definitely does not have. Uh, this noted genius, big brain, master race guy uh, cites Francis Parker Yockey as his chief influence. And I think, honestly, one bored, idle, rich kid uh, being influenced by another bored, idle, rich kid turned fascist, bohemian beatnik uh, is probably the, uh, the life arc that Richard Spencer deserves. If you look up to this guy and you think that like he's some sort of life influence you should follow, I'm sorry, this isn't a neutral podcast and you're just a bad person. Like, with all the people on this podcast, Parker Yaki was a bad, dumb person who had bad, dumb ideas that uh, when people take too seriously ends up murdering millions of people, as we've seen before and God forbid might see again. Uh, so for part two of this podcast, we're going to get into an actual review of Imperium in more detail, but for now this should serve as sufficient uh, context for Parker Yockey, the man, the author, and the piece of shit. So until next time, uh, I hope you folks uh, enjoy this content for whatever reason, uh, and I will be back with part two in probably three weeks or so, so take it easy.